0: be seated. 25th chapter of the book of 1 Samuel. That's a good song for tonight because that's what's happening to David as Saul is just relentlessly chasing him, hounding him, because he knows that the throne has been taken from himself and given it to someone that is better than him. Not better as in good or even righteous because our righteousness comes from Christ. But David has an obedient heart. David has a heart that he loves the Lord and nothing else truly matters to him, that he he would be pleasing to the Lord. And we're going to look at the 25th chapter. Uh, some things, when it happens in our lives, the news doesn't have to be much said about that. I think about 9-11. When that happened, I think about uh, John F. Kennedy or Dr. Martin Luther King, when it just says they had been assassinated. Well, that's what's happening here in this first chapter, in this first verse of chapter 25. Verse 1 tells us, then Samuel died. And we have to understand that Samuel, he's the last judge. And Really, he was the founder of the prophets, a line that culminated, that ended with Jesus Christ. And so, even at this time, Samuel, even though he's uh, relinquished his day-to-day leadership, he's still watching, he's still uh, paying attention to what's going on. But Saul is the leader now, even though David is waiting in the wings, to become the leader. And it's ironic that last week, as we looked at at, the 24th chapter to verse 20, that Saul, Samuel will not die. He will not pass until Saul admits that David will be king. And it says, and now I know, verse 20 of chapter 24, and now I know indeed that you shall surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Yet and still, Saul will continue to run his head into the wall because he's a man with a reprobate mind at this time. So verse 1 tells us, Then Samuel died, and the Israelites gathered together and lamented. They mourned for him and buried him at his home in Ramah. And David arose and went down to the wilderness of Paran, Last time we looked, David was in the stronghold of Masada. He was there because, once again, uh, Saul is chasing him. So they're having this large monument. They're having this funeral for Samuel. And the question is, did David go? But I'm pretty sure that David did not go because the way uh, Saul is pursuing him, he didn't want to give Saul a chance to kill him, even though Saul had said the last time they had met. David, I'm not going to harm you. So David, he turns and he runs to the wilderness of Paran and he's going to be there. We have to understand now that David has lost his strong right arm that he would think. He's lost Samuel, the man that he would go and get understanding and knowledge from the Lord. And that's how the Lord works. Everything that we think we need... When we begin to rely on that person or that thing more than we should rely on God almighty, he begins to strip things away and he strips things away until he he, he see, we find out that all we need is the Lord. He's enough. And I also want us to see that David's flight into the wilderness it prefigures the flight of Jesus Christ when he went out into the wilderness to be baptized. Now, as David is retreating, he continues to retreat from Saul. He's not doing this in faith anymore. We know he's a man of faith, but he's losing his faith because, once again, Samuel has passed, and he's now he's moving in fear. And remember, he's accompanied by 600 men, not only men, but their families, because we remember they had, he had went to Keliah and he had rescued all those from the Philistines. So he's got all of this, all of these anxieties and all of these uh, responsibilities, not only for himself, but 600 men and his family. So it's a lot. So verse two tells us, and there was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel. The man was very rich. He had three thousand sheep and a thousand goats. He was shearing his sheep in Carmel. And they would they were shear sheep in the spring and in the fall. And it's it's funny to me that before we find out this man's name, we find out that he's very rich. Because that's how this man Saw himself. All of his prestige went before who he was was bundled up into what he had, and that's never good. God loves this man, and God is going to try to work on behalf of this man. But all he thinks about is everything that, that he owns. And you would think now that David, we're going to find out that David and his men had been protecting This guy's flock and his sheep and his herd. The Bible says he's been a wall. David and his men has been a wall to him. And so common courtesy, you would think, would say, okay, since I know David and his men has been helping me, nothing has been missing. No thieves or robbers has broken and killed. It's sheep shearing season. It should be a festive time. And I should invite them and share my abundance and share my goods with them. But he doesn't do that. The Bible, Jesus Christ tells us that believers, we should be the salt and the light of the earth. And once again, David is a good neighbor to Nabal. They don't steal anything, they don't take anything, and they make sure no one else is doing anything to harm them. But David thinks just because He has been a good neighbor. Nabal owes him something. And he's going to find out it doesn't work like that. It says in verse 3, Now the name of the man was Nabal. I'm sure we've all read this before. Nabal means fool. And it doesn't mean he's silly or he's playful, but it, it, it speaks of being vicious, almost like an animal. It speaks of not only being vicious, but atheism or materialistic. His God is himself. He's God. And once again, all he cares about is his abundance of goods that the Lord has blessed him with. We don't know if uh, Nabal got his gain by dishonest means. It doesn't tell us that. We know he's from the tribe of Judah and the family of Caleb. So once again, Nabal has all of this means, these means the Lord has blessed him. And I'm wondering when David comes through this, This was he thinking about Nabal when he penned Psalms 14.1? The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. And in the Hebrew, once again, it re- actually reads, Nabal says in his heart heart because Nabal means a fool. Then the name of the man was Nabal. The name of the man was Nabal and the name of his wife, Abigail, my father is Joy. And she was a woman of good understanding and beautiful appearance, but the man was harsh and evil in his doings. He was of the house of Caleb. Verse four, when David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep, David sent 10 young men. I wanted to, I know that 10 represents the law, and I'm, I'm reminded, I'm thinking, did David send these 10 because it's more of a, the status of the law? This is what you should do. And David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel, go to Nabal, and greet him. Notice what he says, In my name, because by this time, David is well known. And thus you shall say to him who lives. Prosperous uh, in prosperity. Shalom to you, shalom to your house, and shalom to all that you have. Now, I have heard that you have shearers. Your shepherds were with us, and we did not hurt them, nor was there anything missing from them all the while they were in Carmel. That's the way it should have been. He, he's not doing anything he shouldn't have did. Ask your young men, and they will tell you Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we come on a feast day. Please give whatever comes to your hand to your servants and to your son, David. Now, he says this in humility. He means this, but still, we're going to see David is on the wrong track at this time. Psalms 14 perfectly describes Nabal. One of his own servants and also his wife will call him a son of Belial. Uh, Belial means son of the devil or worthless fellow. That's what they thought of Nabal. And then he gives his half-hearted reply to David's plea for help. And he's he's, he's not only has he refused to share his abundance, but also he adds insult to injury. He could have just said, no, I'm not going to do this. But that's not the type of man Nabal is. Verse 9, so when David's young men came, they spoke to Nabal according to all these words in the name of David. And notice it says, and waited. So Nabal doesn't give them a off-the-cuff, a spontaneous reply. Oh, I just rushed and said something. They waited. So Nabal has thought about what he's about to say, word from word for word. Then Nabal answered David's servants and said, who is David? And who is the son of Jesse? He tells on himself right there, he knows David. He even knows his dad. There are many servants nowadays who break away each from his, his master. So, once again, it's obvious that Nabal knows who David is. And then he speaks of David as he's a renegade, a, he's no account to anyone, he, he's just trying to take over everything. He speaks to him, he slanders him, he speaks to him in scorn, all because he doesn't want to give David or his men any of his abundance. Nabal is a model of someone with the wrong attitude towards wealth and possessions. He hasn't considered one time that everything that he has, everything that he owns, comes from God. And one of my pet peeves is when people boast on what they have or even how smart they may be and they just... All of this knowledge, and God has blessed them. They never give credit to God. It's as if I built my great Babylon with my hands. God says it does not work like that, and we should understand that. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 17, 18 tells them, as the the children of Israel is going into the land of promise, just as they get ready to go, it says, then you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand gain me this wealth, and you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is today. It says almost the same thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, when the apostle Paul says, for who makes you differ from another, and what do you have that you did not receive, if we only lived like that. Now, if you, did, if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? Nabal is about to learn a vital lesson. Everything of a blessing that Yahweh has given him, wasn't because he was righteous, wasn't because he was holy, it was just because of the grace of God. And then here's his reply. And notice how often he uses the word "I" and "my. Shall I then take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shearers? I bet he didn't kill one sheep. And give it to the men when I do not know where they are from. It reminds me of when Jesus tells the parable of the rich fool. And he had no one else to speak to or talk to. So he would talk to himself all the time. Luke 12, 18 through 19, he says, So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store up my crops and my goods And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. All of his possessions, God is about to call him away. God said to him, fool, Nabal, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one, Jesus concludes, who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So verse 12 tells us, so David's young men, and I'm sure by this time they are surprised, they probably mouths hanging wide open because this is David. So David's young men turned on their heels and went back, and they came and told him all these words. Now I want us to put ourselves in David's shoes at this time. For years, Saul, probably 13 to 15 years, Saul has been hunting David. All because he knows that David will be the king of Israel. He's the Lord's anointed. David, once again, has all of this burden of these 600 men and his family. He's doing what's right. He's protected Nabal's flock. All these things are pressing on him because, remember, they're running relentlessly from Saul So they're eating what they can. Remember, they had went to the priest of Nob just to get the show bread. So it's not like they're eating well every day. So he was looking forward to this. And remember what's about to happen to David where he passed the test when Saul came into that cave. I guarantee you, David says, I'm not going to touch Saul because we know he's the Lord's anointed. He has a little cachet with himself, a little prestige with himself. That adds to it. So I'm I'm not going to touch Saul. He passed that test. But the way it usually works, when you pass one test and you relax on your own laurels, it's the second test where you strike out at. So he says, I'm going to overlook Saul. I've been in a word. I've been in prayer. He bows down to Saul in humility. Saul has a little status. But now I've been doing good to Nabal. I've been taking care of his flocks and his herds. And this guy's a fool. And he's going to talk to me this way? We're going to find out that David does not pray. He just begins to run in the flesh, and that's never good. Satan always looks for an opportune time. When we are relaxing, when, when we think everything is okay, that's usually when he makes his move. Once again, Nabal does not owe David or his men anything. In the kindness of his heart, yes, He should have gave them something. We're going to find out he doesn't even miss what his wife Abigail sends to him. So he has an over of abundance, but it's still his. David is a little frustrated. He's a little humiliated because this man did not do and say what he thought he would say. Verse 13 tells us, Then David said to his men, No seeking the Lord in prayer every man gird on his sword. So every man girded on his sword, and David also girded on his sword, and about 400 men went with David, and 200 stayed with the supplies. Once again, David fell so easily this time into sin because his guard wasn't up. He wasn't even thinking about it. He thought this was going to be a no-brainer. It was going to be easy. He He was going to lavish him with things. But that's usually the way it works. Remember when Jesus and about seven or eight of his disciples were in the Garden of Gethsemane, Judas wasn't there, and they knew why Judas wasn't there. So when Judas showed up, it wasn't a big deal. It was no surprise. Even Peter, he grabs his sword and cuts off Malchus' ear. But remember a few hours later when everything Peter thought was okay, and he follows John into the court courtroom, the courtyard, and then this little servant girl made him bow down, tell three lies, and begin to curse because it was unexpected. He wasn't Once again, he didn't have his guard up. He wasn't in prayer. He didn't know this was going to happen. And that's the way it always worked. John 18, 17 tells us, Then the servant girl who kept the door said to Peter, You are not also one of the man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. That's the way it happens all the time. It's when we're not ready. It's when someone... And let me say this about leadership. I'll put it this way. When people are in a position of leadership, that's when we have to be in prayer and walk in humility more and more. Because we might not say it out loud, but sooner or later, you begin to think, I have a right. I'm the pastor. I'm this. I'm that. I should be treated a little better. That's the natural man. That's what we have to suppress in leadership day in and day out. And sooner or later, someone will say, they may say anything to you, and and the first thing you'll say, you're talking to me like that? That's what happens to David. David, even though his name preceded him, even though his fame, everyone knew about him, David thought, you owe me something. We should be more like Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who humbled himself even to the point of death, not asking for anything. Peter put it this way in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21 through 23. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was the seat found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. If David wouldn't have received one lamb from Nabal, God is his shepherd. And God would have provided for him and his men. Verse 14. Now, one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, Look, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, and he reviled them. But the men were very good to us, and we were not hurt, nor did we miss anything as long as we accompanied them. When we were in the fields, they were a wall to us, both by night and all the time we were with them, keeping the sheep. Now, therefore, know and consider what you will do. For harm is determined against our master and against all his household, for he is such a scoundrel that one cannot speak to him. This tells us a lot about Nabal and his household when something as urgent as this is going on, that the the, the servants don't even go and speak to him, they speak to his wife. Abigail, she seems to be wise. She's very prudent. And my question is, how could someone like Abigail be married to someone like Nabal? And then I think about the movie Fiddler on the Roof. Remember, at that time, arranged marriages. And all her parents, I believe, could see is this man, Nabal, is rich. He's got money. I don't care if he's big and fat. I don't care if he's short and stubby. I don't care. He's got money. And so he will take care of my daughter. She will be able to eat well and all of those other things. That's all they thought about. That's how I think they came to be. And so I used to think it was better in those days for parents to do the matchmaking, but this didn't go well. So I guess God knows. We have to, the proof is in the pudding, Josiah. (laughs) I had to say it, I love you. Verse 18. (laughs) Then Abigail made haste. Notice this godly, God-fearing, wise, prudent woman how she begins to maneuver. It almost reminds me, it does remind me of when uh, Abraham is sitting in the tent door and he sees these three men coming. And one of them is the Lord. And he goes and says, Sarah, begin to fix the meal and do all these things. Sarah doesn't start complaining. She just starts doing it. And this is Abigail. Then Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, Five sheep already dressed. This is the abundance this man has. Five seers of roasted grain, one hundred clusters of raisins, and two hundred cakes of figs. And loaded them on donkeys. And she said to her servants, "Go on before me. See, I am coming after you." But she did not tell her husband Nabal wise choice. So it was as she rode on the donkey that she went down under cover of the hills. And there were David and his men coming down toward her, and she met them. She's also courageous. Even though she sent men, her servants in front of her, she's right behind them. Verse 21, now David had said, surely in vain I have protected all that this fellow has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all that belongs to him, and he has repaid me evil for good. Now, he's right about that. My question is, are we frustrated with people when we've done good, our heart was in it to do them good, and yet they turn around and do evil towards us? I can understand if it's a non-believer, we should expect that. But what hurt is when believers do that. That's something we have to pray on. That's something we have to say, Lord, give me grace to get over this. That's what's happening right here. Once again, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21 tells us, For to this you were called. It's as if the story is already written. God is in the helicopter. He sees the end from the beginning. So he knows what's going to happen in our lives. And this happens to all of us sooner or later. And he says, for to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example, you guys, that you should follow his steps. We should understand that these things are going to happen. Yes, should we be wise? Should we be more prudent the next time? Yes, we should, but we still should extend that olive branch to people. We should go in peace. 1 Peter 3, 17 tells us, for it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. David, once again, his fame and his a tinge of pride had gotten in between David. Once again, when he, when he saw Saul, after he had humiliated Saul, it was only then that he bowed down and said, okay, I've did that to you I'll share my heart. But he doesn't want to do this with Nabal. It's as if Nabal owes him something. Verse 22, he says, May God do so and more also to the enemies of David if I leave one male of all who belong to him by morning light. Now, I love the King James. You can read the King James yourself. I used to tell that to Anthony, my son, when we would be out doing things. And we would just laugh at what the King James says, but it's a manly statement, the King James. But David is about to make a huge mistake because that's all Saul wants. By now, this time, David's hands are clean. He's did everything right. And the enemy knows he's done everything right because he's hounding him. In this opportune time, David is moving. He's working in the flesh. And we know when we're in the flesh, we're probably going to sin. It was David's dad who wrote in Proverbs 26, 4. Do not answer a fool according to his folly, lest you also be like him. That's what's happening to David right now. And we once again, we have to understand... God is shaping, God is molding, God is pruning David to be the ruler, to be the shepherd of Israel. Verse 23. Now when Abigail saw David, she dismounted quickly from the donkey, fell on her face before David, and bowed down to the ground. This should have smote David right here. Why? Because she's doing the same thing David did at first with Saul. She will call David, my Lord, 14 times. She will say, I'm your maid servant or your hand servant about six times. She does everything right. And the reason she is doing everything right is because she's walking in humility and lowliness of mind. Usually, if we're walking like that, Everything else will come. And that's the way she goes to David. So she fell at his feet and said, and remember, he's on his way to kill Nabal. And I want us to listen up here, especially the wives. She doesn't say to David, you call yourself a Christian? Look at what you're about to do. Are you crazy? She doesn't do any of that. Proverbs also tells us, thirty-one twenty-six of the virtuous woman, she opens her mouth with wisdom. And on her tongue is the law of kindness. Now, if the scripture says, on her tongue is the law of kindness, what that tells me, she just doesn't open her mouth and speak any kind of rash words or payback words or anything like that. It's kindness is on her lips. And if, and if she thinks she can't speak in kindness, she doesn't say anything at all. And all of us should understand that. Abigail, not one time does she say, who do you think you are? You're the next king in line of Israel. I can't believe you're doing that. She doesn't do any of that. It says, so she fell at his feet and said on me my lord on me let this iniquity be she knows that she's one with her foolish husband nabal and what he has done she's a part of it just because they are one but now she goes out to david and she's asking for forgiveness and forgiveness from her husband really even though they are one and this catches David's attention. She says, and please let your maidservant speak in your ears and hear the words of your maidservant. Once again, now the shoe is on the other feet. David had no problem bowing down to Saul. He had no problem walking in humility with Saul. But now this fool who he thinks owes him something and out of courtesy's sake, should have given him something and his men, but it once and still, it belonged to him. And so she's walking in kindness. She's walking in humility. And this begins to resonate. It begins to affect David. And that's the way the truth always is. That's why the Bible says, speak the truth, how in love. She says in verse 25, please let not my Lord... Regard this scoundrel, Belial, this worthless fool again. For as his name is so, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. So she is repenting of the sins of her husband. And she's repenting because she knows she's angered David wrongfully. Her husband has. So she says, but I, your maidservant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. I didn't know anything about this. Now, therefore, my Lord, as Yahweh lives and as your soul lives, since Yahweh has held, notice what it says, has held you back from coming to bloodshed, from avenging, notice, yourself With your own hand. That's exactly what David had told his men because they were upset because David did not kill Saul in the cave. And David says, Vengeance is not mine. It's not my responsibility to to, to show vengeance to Saul. She's saying the same thing here bloodshed from avenging yourself with your own hand. Now let your enemies and those who seek harm from my Lord be as Nabal. She's saying, it is the Lord who has kept you so far, David, from shedding innocent blood. Don't let this fool ruin your reputation. That's what Abigail is thinking of. So you can understand that David's fame is well known. David's goodness and his kindness is well known. She will tell David, I believe you're headed to the throne. And when he finally speaks, David, he will tell her, you've spoken rightly, and the Lord has used you greatly. And how many times does God use an Abigail in our lives? Much in mine. Sometimes I can be hot-headed. I'm ready to fly off the handle And whether Lydia or my mom or someone in Christ will speak to me. And I say, yeah, you're right. I'm glad you told me that. We need to listen. That's what David is doing because no one walks perfectly all the time. David sees this. And many of times when arguments or frustration, all those things happen, we are arguing about things that don't matter. We can even argue about what's right or wrong. When, where, and right or wrong means a lot sometimes, but in the kingdom of God, right or wrong is not the answer all the time. It's the context of the things. It's what would Jesus do for Christ's sake? Do I act on this offense that someone has done to me? Or should I just let it go? what would Christ do? And so that's what he's saying here. She's wanting, David, you're going to ruin your reputation. David, remember what you've done. Everybody knows that Saul has been relentlessly pursuing you for no reason. And so that's what's happening. She's She's trying to talk sense into David. Verse 26 tells us, now therefore, my Lord, she's still speaking, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, since the Lord has held you back from coming to bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hand, now then let your enemies and those who seek harm for my Lord be as Nabal. And now this present which your maidservant has brought to my Lord, let it be given to the young men. Notice she didn't say to David because she doesn't want to, David to think that he's that she's bribing him. She says to be given to the young men who follow my lord verse 28 please forgive the trespass of your maid servant even though she didn't do a thing she's standing in the gap she's trying to make peace with david here for the lord will notice what she says for the lord will certainly make for my lord an enduring house because my lord fights the battles of the lord she's telling david David, this is not your battle. This is the Lord's battle. He will handle everything. And evil is not found in you throughout your days. Not yet anyway. Once again, David, don't ruin your reputation. It's going to be all right. You're going to be the next king of Israel. And when you're sitting on your throne, you don't want to think back to the bloodshed that you did when you didn't have to do it. And then she says in verse 29, Yet a man has risen to pursue pursue you and seek your life. Speaking of Saul, But the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living with the Lord. The safest place you can be, the Lord your God. And the lives of your enemies, he, Yahweh, shall sling out as from the pocket of a sling. What she's telling David, David, you're right in the sweet spot. You're right in the eye of the storm. You're right in the center of the Lord's will. And that's the best place we can be. So whatever happens, the Lord is in control. She said, everyone will, be, your enemies will be slung out like the sling in a stone. I believe she's thinking of, because she's heard, and it brings to remembrance to David all it took was your sling and one stone to kill Goliath. Now you're going to war with 400 trained armed men against one fool. How does that look, David? You don't have to do that. The Lord is not in this. And David is just sitting there listening. Verse 30. And it shall come to pass when the Lord has done for my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you ruler over Israel, that this will be no grief, there it is, to you, nor offense of heart to my Lord, either that you have shed blood without cause or that my Lord has avenged himself. But when the Lord has de- dealt well with my Lord, then remember your maidservant, and that won't, that won't take long. Have you ever, and I know I have, and many of us probably have ever looked back at your life and said i wish i wouldn't have did something or done something or i wish i wouldn't have given in or just did anything you you regret that thing that's what she's trying to keep david from here you want to have that clean slate that I've followed the Lord with my whole heart. I want to say this also. None of us are perfect. We've all missed the mark. And thank God for the blood of Jesus Christ. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the beauty of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But it's still good To look back and says, Lord, and looking forward, I want to walk with you. I want to be pleasing in your sight. I want to be everything you want me to be because we are justified in Christ. That's what she's trying to keep back from David. She says, this thing will not be a grief to you nor an offense of heart to my Lord, either that you have shed blood. And she calls it without a cause. So he was going to do something he shouldn't have been doing. Or that my Lord has avenged himself. Vengeance is the Lord, God says, I will repay. Because when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your maidservant. Verse 32, David finally speaks. Then David said to Abigail, blessed is the Lord God of Israel. Notice what he says, who sent you this day to meet me. As the Jews says, coincidence is not a kosher word. God knew what he was going to do. God loves David. God loves his children. He loves us. And my God will do everything and anything, put up signposts, guard posts, guardrails, everything to keep us walking in the right way. He doesn't want David to drop the ball. And so he sends Abigail. Verse 33. And blessed, notice what David says, and blessed is your advice, and blessed are you, because you have kept me this day from coming to bloodshed and from avenging myself with my own hand. David's dad said again in Proverbs fifteen, thirty-three, The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom, and before honor, our great word, and before honor is humility. If we do that, the way up, as Andy Mino would say, is down. That's the way it should be. That's how we advance in the kingdom of God, by walking in humility and letting the Lord raise us up. That's what he's training David. He's pruning David to understand. David, you don't have to touch a hair on his head, I'm going to do it. I'm going to make you king when it's your time to be king. That's the way we should live. Whatever we may be thinking, seeking, searching for, it's all in God's timing. And once again, I said this from the beginning of 1 Samuel, it's only when we run ahead of God, that's when we get in trouble. But as long as we wait on him, God will show up in his time. In verse 33, And blessed is your advice, and blessed are you, because you have kept me this day from coming to bloodshed and from avenging myself with my own hand. For indeed, as the Lord God of Israel lives, who who has kept me back from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come to meet me, surely by morning light no males would have been left to Nabal. And I believe he's telling the truth. So David received from her hand what she had brought him and said to her, go up in peace to your house. See, I have heeded your voice and respected your person. Attitude speaks more all the time than content. I think Chuck Swindoll says, you can tell anyone anything if you say it the right way. It's the same thing. If your attitude is right when you're speaking, whether it's a reproof, whether it's a rebuke, if the attitude is right, you're going to be okay. That's what she does with, with, with David. If she would have came there ranting to David, railing at David, She may have been the first one to lose her life. She knows this. But that was Abigail's heart because when we find out when David comes to get her, he sends his men to get her, Abigail is going to say the same thing. She has a gracious, kind spirit. And the way we cultivate a gracious and kind and long-suffering spirit is in the word because no one has that automatically. I don't care who you are. You might can hold that brick for five minutes, but you won't hold it for six. You, you, you don't get that naturally. That comes being in the word and being in prayer and spending time with the Lord that your words become biblene and you have that kindness of heart and you have that kindness of spirit. He says in verse 36, Now Abigail went to Nabal, And there he was, holding a feast in his house, like the feast of a king. (laughs) And Nabal's heart was merry within him, for he was very drunk. Not just drunk, he was very drunk. Therefore, she told him, she's a wise woman. Therefore, she told him nothing, little or much, until morning light. You cannot reason With a drunk person, there's better hope for a fool. So it was in the morning when the wine had gone from Nabal and his wife had told him these things, that his heart died within him and he became like a stone. Was it a stroke? Was it a heart attack? My question is why? I don't know if it was because after she tells him that he almost died because of David, after all of the boasting he did against David, that he, that he has this heart attack or this stroke, or did he think Saul is going to be upset with me because he's the king and he's going to send some men for me? I don't know what it is, but it was enough to do this to him. All of his goods, all of his things, All of his abundance, all that he had strove for, worked for, labored for, not worth a darn. But God is gracious. He's still going to be gracious. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? Or what can a man give in in exchange for his soul? David said, I tell you what, Lord, give me enough where I don't have to steal, not so much that I become prideful and forget about you. There's a balance there. Lord, give me that balance. I don't want to forget about you. I want to live for you. That's what David wants. Verse 38 tells us, Then it happened, after about ten days, that the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. That's God's grace right there because God could have taken him right away. That gave Abigail 10 days to tell him about Yahweh God, to tell him of his mercy and of his grace, and you're going to be fixed somewhere, uh, Nabal, either in paradise or in hell, but you're going to be fixed somewhere, and you need to come to know Uh, Yahweh as your savior. You need to put faith in him. So God gives him grace for 10 days to do that. So when David heard that Nabal was dead, kind of funny here, he said, blessed be the Lord who has pleaded the cause of my reproach. Everything is for David. God does everything for David to let him think that. Who has pleaded the cause of my reproach from the hand of Nabal And has kept his servant from evil. He did do that. Thank you, Lord. Because I would have killed him. For the Lord has returned the wickedness of Nabal on his own head. And David sent and proposed to Abigail to take her as his wife. When the servants of David had come to Abigail at Carmel, they spoke to her saying, David sent us to you to ask you to become his wife. Then she arose, bowed her face. She does the same thing that she did when the pressure was on. She does the same thing in glad tidings because that was her heart. Then she arose, bowed her face to the earth and said, here's your maidservant, a servant to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. So Abigail rose in haste and rode on a donkey, attended by five of her maidens, and she followed the messengers of David and became his wife. David also took Anhanoam of Jezreel, and so both of them were his wives. Now, that's never good, and it never works. That's going to be David's downfall. But Saul had given Michael his daughter, David's wife, to Palti, the son of Lash, who was from Gallim. Once again, this shows us, and I'm happy about it, that we don't have to fight our own battles. All we have to do is wait on the Lord and allow him to do that for us. We don't have to worry about our enemies they're backbiting, the knives trying to be jammed in our backs. We don't have to worry about any of those things. All we have to do, God makes it easy for the believer. It would be a tough Christian life if he saved us and then he said, here's your sword and here's your shield, go fight your battles. I'll see you in the kingdom. He doesn't do that. He saves us. We're in Christ. We're more than conquerors in Christ. And so all we have to do is keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Once again, he's the good shepherd. He's the chief shepherd. We keep our eyes on him. We can be so focused. I want to get to that point where I'm so focused, I'm so trained with my eyes being fixed on Jesus that I don't care what's happening in my peripheral, that everything's going to be okay. That's trusting him. That's faith in him. Everything is falling apart, but Lord, you've got me. That's the way he wants us to live. He proves himself over and over again. I don't know how long. I know it's been a while, many of us that we've been believers, but go back and count the ways of how God has shown himself strong in our lives. So we need to lean on those things and trust him that God, we don't have to fight our battles. He's got this. He's going to do that. Let's live that way. Let's pray, you guys. It's so good to know, Lord Jesus, that you've given us everything every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm. I need that peace. I need your joy. I need all of those gifting and the fruit of the Spirit, Lord, so that I can walk upright and bring you glory and fame and honor. Lord, all we have to do is keep our eyes on you Trust you and lean not to our own understanding. Allow you to lead us. Let us not get ahead of you, but keep our focus and our attention on you, Father God. You will do everything else. The Bible says you do all things well. Let us remember that, Father. Lord, I continue to lift up those that are sick and those that are hurting Those that need a job here at CR, Father, would you move on their behalf? Lord, would you do great things here, Lord? I continue to pray for Friendship Middle School, Father. I thank you for allowing those that went out to the middle school, Father, and uh, just getting a, a foot in the door. And may we be faithful to continue and just, once again, not get ahead of you, but to wait on you and allow you to begin to move hearts and do the things you need to do. I continue to lift up the women's Bible study, Lord, that you will continue to bless it, Lord. They had a great time. And and I just thank you for these women coming together, iron sharpening iron. I pray for the men's breakfast coming up Saturday, Father. I pray that everything that's done there will be a blessing to you and that we would just pour into one another's life, Lord. Your word said, let us not, Neglect the gathering together of the brethren. That's important. That's important for us and important to you. There's something special when sheep come together, Father God. So, Lord, may we be a blessing to you. May we allow the Holy Spirit to rule and reign in our hearts. And I ask all of this through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, to the Father God. Amen.